Chapter Two of the Pennycum Quicks. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Pennycum Quicks by Sabine Baring Gould. Chapter Two, Salome. I lay in bed this morning, musing on the feelings of those aged Borneans as they approached ripeness, and noticed the eyes of the rising generation fixed on them with expectancy. Saw their red tongues flicker out of their mouths and stealthily lick their lips. I lay in bed considering whether my time had come to crawl up the tree, whether, perhaps, I was already hanging to one of the branches. But the thought was uncomfortable, and I turned back to the Borneans, who live very remote from us, and I considered how sensitive they must have become in old age to every glance of eye, and word let slip, and gesture of impatience, observable in the rising generation. I mused over the little artifices that would be adopted by them to disguise the approach of ripeness, how, when extending their shaking hands over the fire, they would endeavor to control the muscles and disguise their tremble, how they would give to them an unreal appearance of nervous grip, how they would talk loud and deep out of their quavering pipe, and how they would fill in the creases in their brows and cheeks with tallow, and dance at every festival with an affectation of suppleness long lost and I considered further how that all these little artifices would be seen through and jeered at, and how they never for one minute would postpone the fatal day when the tree would be indicated and the command given to ascend. Then next, having felt my ribs and counted them, and my thews, and found them shrunk and with no flesh on them, I thought of the Eskimo, and the way in which their elders were put out of doors and exposed to die of cold. And after I had left my bed, at breakfast, throughout the day, I remained mighty touchy and keenly observant and alarmed at every slight and fault of deference and disregard of habitual consideration, thinking it might be a premonition that I was being considered fit to be turned out into the cold. Among barbarians it is customary to surfeit a victim destined to become a sacrifice. It almost seemed as if the birthday banquet given to Uncle Jeremiah by his half-sister had been given with this intent mythologists tell us that pluto the god of the netherworld and plutus the god of wealth were identical divinities variously designated according to the aspect in which viewed whether from that of the victims offered to the god or from that of the immolator the god of death to one was the god of fortune to another uncle jeremiah pennycumquick was not indeed shaken by his half-sister and nephew whilst clinging to the tree of life but was apprised by them as to his ripeness, and to his caliber, and was not unaware that such was the case. Indeed, as already intimated, Mrs. Sidebottom was as incapable of concealing her motives as is Mephistopheles of concealing his hoof. She flattered herself that it was not so, and yet she wore her purposes, her ambitions, in her face. As Jeremiah walked homewards, it was with much the same consciousness that must weigh on the spirits of a bullock that has been felt and measured by a butcher. He opened his door with a latch-key and entered his little parlor. A light was burning there, and he saw Salome seated on a stool by the fire, engaged in needlework. The circle of light cast from above was about her, irradiating her red-gold hair. She turned and looked up at Jeremiah with a smile and showed the cheek that had been nearest the fire glowing like a carnation what not in bed exclaimed the old man half reproachfully 
and yet with a tone of pleasure in his voice no uncle i thought you might possibly want something before retiring besides you had not said good-night to me and i couldn't sleep without that i want nothing child shall i fold up my work and go no no he replied hesitatingly and stood looking at the fire then at his chair and then with doubt and almost fear at her salome i should like a little talk with you i am out of sorts out of spirits the side-bottoms always irritate me velvet is soft but the touch chills my blood i want to have my nerves composed before i can sleep and the hour is not late not really late i came away from the side-bottoms as soon as i could do so with decency of course it was very kind of my sister to give this dinner in my honor on my birthday but he did not finish the sentence the girl took his hand and pressed him to sit down in his chair he complied without resistance but drew away his hand from her with a gesture of uneasiness a shrinking that somewhat surprised her when in his seat he sat looking at her with his elbows resting on the arms of his chair and his palms folded before his breast like the hands of a monumental effigy salome had resumed her place and work as he did not speak she presently glanced up at him and smiled with her slight sweet smile that was not the motion of the lips but the dimpling of the pure cheek he did not return her smile his eyes though on her did not see her and notice the inquiry in her countenance jeremiah was aged that day fifty-five or as mrs sidebottom put it for her greater comfort in his fifty-sixth year the dinner-party at his half-sister's had been given entirely in his honor. His health had been drunk, and many good wishes for long years had been expressed with apparent heartiness. But what had been done to gratify him had been overdone in some particulars and underdone in others, overdone in profession, underdone in sincerity, and he returned home dissatisfied and depressed. When the peacock unfurls his fan, he does not persistently face you, if he did so, words would fail to express your admiration. But the bird twirls about on his feet and foolishly exposes the ribbing of his plumage so as to provoke contemptuous laughter. It is the same with selfish and with vain persons. They make a prodigious effort to impose, and then, still ruffling with expanded glories, they revolve on their pivots and in complete unconsciousness exhibit the ignoble rear of sordid artifice and falsity and mean pretense joseph cusworth had been at first clerk and then traveller for the house of pennycumquick a trustworthy intelligent and energetic man twenty-two years ago after the factory had fallen under the sole management of jeremiah through the advanced age of his father and his half-brother's disinclination for business master and man had quarrelled jeremiah had been suspicious and irascible in those days and he had misinterpreted the freedom of action pursued by cussworth as allowed him by old pennycumquick and dismissed him cussworth went to lancashire where he speedily found employ and married after a few years and much vexation through the incompetence or unreliability of agents jeremiah had swallowed his pride and invited cussworth to return into his employ holding out to him the prospect of admission into partnership after a twelvemonth. 
Cusworth had accordingly returned to Murgatroyd and brought with him his wife and twin daughters. The reconciliation was complete. Cusworth proved to be the same upright, reliable man as of old, and with enlarged experience. His accession speedily made itself felt. He was one of those men who attract friends everywhere, whom everyone insensibly feels can be trusted. The deed of partnership was drawn up and engrossed, and only lacked signature, when, in going through the mill with Jeremiah, Cusworth was caught by the lappet of his coat in the machinery, drawn in under the eye of his superior, and so frightfully mangled that he never recovered consciousness, and expired a few hours after. From that time Mrs. Cusworth, with the children, was taken into the manufacturer's house, where she acted as his housekeeper. There the little girls grew up, and made their way into the affections of the solitary man who encouraged them to call him uncle, though there was absolutely no relationship subsisting between them. Jeremiah had never been married. He had never been within thought of such an event. No woman had ever made the smallest impression on his heart. He lived for his business, which engrossed all his thoughts. As for his affections, they would have stagnated but for the presence of the children in the house. The interest they aroused, the amusement they caused, the solicitude they occasioned, and for the thousand little fibers their innocent hands threw about his heart, till they had caught and held it in a web of their artless weaving. He had lost his mother when he was born. His father married again soon after, and his life at home with his stepmother had not been congenial. He was kept away from home, at school, and then put into business at a distance, and his relations with his half-sister and half-brother had never been cordial. They had been pampered, and he neglected. When, finally, he came home to assist his father, his half-sister was married, and his brother, who had taken a distaste for business, was away. One day of his life had passed much like another. He had become devoted to his work, which he pursued mechanically, conscientiously, but at the same time purposelessly. For he had no one whom he loved, or even cared for, to whom his fortune might go, and for whom, therefore, it would be a pleasure to accumulate and as for himself, he was without ambition. When daily he returned from the mill after the admission of the Cusworth family under his roof, the prattle and laughter of the children had refreshed him. Their tender winning ways had overmastered him and softened his hitherto callous heart. It was to him as if the sun had suddenly broken through the clouds that had overarched and chilled and obscured his life, and was warming, glorifying, and vivifying his latter days. Time passed, and the little girls grew up into young women. They were much alike in face and in color of hair and eyes and complexion. But there the likeness stopped. In character they were not twins. Their names were Salome and Janet. Janet was married. A year ago, when she was barely nineteen, the son of a manufacturer at El Bouf in Normandy had seen, loved, and made her his own. This young man, Albert Victor Baines, had been born and bred in France. But his father had been a manufacturer in Yorkshire, till driven to distraction by strikes at times when he had taken heavy contracts. He, like a score of others similarly situated, had migrated with his plant and business to Normandy, and opened in a foreign land a spring of wealth that copiously irrigated a wide area, and which greed and folly had banished from its proper home. 
about rouen elbeuf and louvier are bristling factory chimneys and busy manufacturers carried thither by yorkshire capitalists and employers and where they initiated the french have followed and have drained away our english trade young baines had come to yorkshire and to murgatroyd to visit relatives and he had at once lost his heart to janet cussworth as he was the only son of a man in good business and as uncle jeremiah was prepared to act liberally towards the daughter of joseph cussworth no difficulties arose to cross the course of love and delay union it was said that jeremiah pennycumquick could hardly have behaved more liberally had janet been his daughter but another reason urged him to generosity beside his regard for the girl this was gratitude to albert victor baines for choosing janet instead of his special favorite salome who had chiefly wound herself about his heart janet was a lively frolicsome little creature whom it was a relaxation to watch and whose tricks provoked laughter but salome was that one of the twins who had depth of character and who as the millfolk declared had inherited all her father's trustworthiness thoughtfulness and that magnetism which attracts love salome continued her needlework silently with the firelight flickering over her fair face and rich hair her complexion was very delicate and perhaps the principal charm of her face consisted in the transparency not of the skin only but of the entire face that showed every change of thought and feeling by a corresponding dance of blood and shift of color in it and not color only for as a mirror takes the lightest breath and becomes clouded by it so was it with her countenance bright with an inner light the slightest breath of trouble discouragement alarm brought a cloud over it dimming its usual brilliancy yours is a very tell-tale face her sister had often said to her without your opening your eyes i can read all that passes in your mind at the time that young baines had stayed at murgatroyd jeremiah had been uneasy the young man hovered round the sisters and spoke to one as much as to the other and divided his attentions equally between them the sisters so closely resembled each other in features complexion and hair as well as in height and frame that only such as knew them could distinguish the one from the other and the distinction consisted rather in expression than in aught else how any one could mistake the one for the other was a marvel to jeremiah who was never in doubt but the resemblance was so close that albert victor baines hung for some time in uncertainty as to which he should take and was only decided by the inner qualities of janet whose vivacity and sparkle best suited the taste of a man whose ideas of woman showed they had been formed in france whilst baines was in uncertainty or in apparent uncertainty jeremiah suffered he loved both the girls but he loved salome infinitely better than her sister it would be to him a wrench to part with brilliant janet but nothing like the wrench that would ensue were he required to separate from salome those who from childhood have been surrounded by an atmosphere of love who have come to regard it as their natural element such have no conception of the force with which love boils up in an old heart that has been long arid and affectionless in the limestone western hills there are riverless valleys tracts of moor and mountain without a rift dead and waterless yet deep beneath in secret channels streams are flowing and mighty vaults form subterranean reservoirs by all who pass over the surface unsuspected 
but suddenly from a cliffside pours the long-hidden water not a spring a rivulet but a full-grown river ready to turn mill-wheels and carry boats so it is with certain human natures that have been long passionless without the token of soft affections the all-conquering stream of love breaks from their hearts in mighty volume and unexpectedly there had been nothing of self-analysis in jeremiah the children had sprung up under his care and year by year had seen them acquire an inch or a fraction of an inch in height their beauty develop their intelligences expand imperceptibly they had stolen from infancy into childhood and from childhood in like manner had crept unobserved into maidenhood and then flowered into full and perfect beauty and each stage of growth had carried them a stage further into jeremiah's affections and had cast another and a stronger tie about his heart he had loved them as children and he loved them as beautiful and intelligent girls as belonging to his house as essential to his happiness as the living elements that made up to him the idea of home the only sorrow he had if that could be called a sorrow which was no more than a regret was that they were not his own true nieces or better still his children when janet was taken and salome left he was thankful and he put away from him for the time the fear that salome would also take wing and leave him in the same manner as janet had gone how could he endure a recurrence to the old gloom and relapse into purposeless gathering of money how could he endure life deprived of both janet and salome how could a man who has seen the sun endure blindness or a man whose ears have drunk in music bear deafness deafness and blindness of heart would be his portion in that part of life when most he needed ear and eye deafness and blindness after having come to understand the melody of a happy home and see the beauty of a child encircled hearth what must be the distress of him who has had a well-furnished house to have an execution put in and everything sold away from before his eyes nothing left him but the bed on which to lie and gnash his teeth how bald how cold how hateful the dismantled home will seem without the thousand comforts and beautifying objects to which his eyes have been accustomed the children as they grew up had furnished jeremiah's house with pleasant fancies had hung the walls with bright remembrances and filled every corner with tender associations the floor was strewn with their primrose homage the thought that as he had lost janet so must he some day lose salome rose up continually before jeremiah and sickened him with fear he tried to steel himself in expectation of it it was in the nature of things that young girls should marry it was inevitable that a closer and stronger tie should be formed and then that cord of reverential gratitude which now attached salome to him would dwindle imperceptibly yet surely to a thread and from a thread to a filament in proportion as from the new bond other ties arose so would that attaching her to him become attenuated till it became formal only a great pain arose in jeremiah's heart and now this evening he looked at the girl engaged on her needlework and observation returned into his eyes now he began that work of self-analysis with her before him that he had never thought of engaging in before never dreamed would be requisite for him to engage in as he looked steadily at salome his closed palms trembled and he separated them 
put one to his lips, for they were trembling also, and then to his brow, which was wet. Salome's soft brown eyes were lifted from her work and rested steadily on him. Dear uncle, she said, my dear, dear uncle, you are unwell. She drew her stool close to him and threw her arms about him to draw his quivering face towards her own that she might kiss it. But he started up with a groan, backed from her arms, and paced the room in agitation. He dare not receive her embrace. He dare not meet her eyes. He had read his own heart for the first time, helped thereto by a casual joke from Captain Lambert Pennycumquick at table that evening. End of chapter 2